Welcome to The Compass, a podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fanville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue working our way through God's Word. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is going to be sharing from the book of Ephesians again as we continue a series called Rags to Riches. Now, if you're looking for a church home, a place that you can call your own, let me invite you to check out Calvary Baptist Church. You can find out information at calvaryfayville.com or you can give us a call at 479-442-4634. Now, again, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing his study through the book of Ephesians with a message entitled, We Are His Workmanship from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Let's listen together. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, we'll actually read another passage first, but I'm not going to ask that you turn there. It'll be on the screen in just a few minutes, and it will uh, help uh, introduce us to the passage for our reading today. Ephesians, chapter 2, page number 976 in the Pew Bibles, if you're reading out of one of those. Perhaps one of the greatest struggles many people face are questions of identity and purpose. We have a whole new issue with identity today uh, in questions of identity, saying that children uh, can just choose their gender identity, and we have all other kinds of identity and identity politics and various groups all kinds of things that divide us. But apart from all of that, oftentimes we still struggle with just basic issues of identity. Questions like, who am I? What am I? What am I here for? What is my purpose? Where do I belong? Why do I struggle with these questions and many more various issues of identity and purpose. A number of years ago, uh, it was uh, my privilege to serve as a uh, a director of a campus ministry of a state university in the state of Texas. Please do not hold that against me. I suppose it only makes sense that young people at that stage of life, in their years of college life, away from home for the very first time, pursuing career choices, learning to stand sometimes on their own two feet. It's no surprise that they should be dealing with those big life questions. And oftentimes, I would spend hours a day counseling young people about the various struggles of life they were going through. And oftentimes, it got down to the basic idea of, who am I and why am I here? Who am I and what is my purpose in life? And uh, more than a few times, I found myself going to 2 Peter chapter 2, where the script, or 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter addresses this very straightforwardly. This will be on the screen. Notice these words. Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's who you are as Christians. And now, why you were here, he continues with these words. You are these things that you may, that you should, proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Who am I? I am a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why am I here? That we should show forth the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then he kind of summarizes it in verse 10. Once you were not even a people. Once you were not a people. 
but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I know of no passage that is more clear as it describes who we are and why we are here as God's people. He goes on in that same chapter, this is not on the board, to say this, further identifying who we are. Listen closely. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. As a child of God, you are a sojourner, a traveler, This world is not your home. You're only passing through. You are a sojourner. You are an exile. And he says, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Why? Because they wage war against your soul. Most everything in this life is waging war against your soul. Attempting to keep you out of heaven. And if not, keep you out of heaven to destroy your effectiveness and your witness while you pass through this world. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That's what Peter says. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That when they try to cast all kinds of accusations against you as an evildoer. What they will see is actually your good life, your good deeds, your faithfulness to your God. And in response, they will have no choice but to glorify God on the day that Christ comes. Beloved, what Peter is saying to us is this, grace changes things. Amen? Grace changes things. Amen? Grace changes your soul's destiny. Grace, God's favor to you, undeserved, something you could never earn for yourself. That grace changes your destiny, but it also is supposed to change your life and your purpose and your work here on earth earth. It's as different as daylight and dark. If you are what you have always been, you are not a Christian, though you may call yourself that. Why? Because a Christian is a changed person. There is a definitive uh, change from light or from dark to light. From the guilt of sin to the the forgiveness of God's mercy. The old is gone and the new has come. Now understand while all that change has taken place. That the process of sanctification. Of becoming like Christ is a process. It takes time. We don't suddenly, although we go from, from hell to heaven in our destiny. And although we are already made perfect and complete in the presence of God, after conversion, we still have a life to live here that goes through sometimes the excruciatingly slow process of becoming like Jesus. But our confidence is in the fact that God is doing a work on us. Now, I did all of that and said all of that to say this. And it's our text today from Ephesians chapter 2. Hold your Bibles open and follow along as we once again read verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let me make the emphasis one more time. This chapter begins with our lost and dead condition, not just contaminated by sin, not just defiled by sin, not just in sin, but dead by reason of our trespasses and sins. But God quickens us. That means he makes alive what is dead. 
And God makes alive those that he calls to himself. And as he quickens us and gives us for the first time a desire for him and a willingness to follow him, he deposits within our hearts the gift of faith so that even the faith we express in him as we believe in Christ as our Savior, even that belief, even that faith comes from God. It is initiated by him. It is empowered by him. It is completed by him. And we trust him as our Savior. It is not by any works that we do. We do not deserve any pat on the back for our conversion. God deserves all the praise for it. No man should boast. And then he says in verse 10, and this is our focus for the remainder of our time this morning. For we are his workmanship. We, Christians, believers, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God for it. Let's just look at that verse I've just read to you, verse 10. Break it down into its three phrases and notice what it says to you and me today. Number one, we are his workmanship. If you read this directly from the Greek language, it would read, for we are his work. We are his work. That word translated work or workmanship means a work. Some translations translate it a masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. It means we are his creation. Originally for all men, we are a product of his first creation. But here he's talking to save people. So he's talking about those who are a new creation in Christ. A new creation in Christ. Something that has never existed before. That's what we are as the people of God. Now I think it's interesting to note that the word in the Greek, work or workmanship, is the word poema. And poema is where we get our word poem. Is that not interesting to you? Understand that this is God's work in us. This is what God is doing in us. We are God's epic poem. Now when I was in the second grade, I was introduced to poetry by a school teacher that didn't have much sense of humor. And she assigned to us this task, write a poem and bring it back tomorrow so that we can all read our poems to the class. Well, the only thing I knew about poetry was a little poem my dad used to quote to me. My dad, understand everything he ever read, he remembered he could quote poetry, he could sing hymns, he could sing songs of, of culture. He just had all of that tucked away in his very, uh, very bright brain. But there was one poem he used to quote that I thought he wrote or that he made it up. And it went like this. It kind of became my poem for my life. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy Wuzzy had no hair. Fuzzy Wuzzy once so fuzzy Wuzzy. And so I just wrote that down thinking that's something that only my family knows. So I wrote that as my poem. I will never forget the teacher, how she responded on that poem as it was scrawled out in a second grader's printing. It simply said, I think I've heard this before. My first response was, I don't think she knows our family. Come to find out. Well, I used to kind of think, you know, if I'm God's epic poem, that's kind of a poem that describes who I am. <laughs> Fuzzy wuzzy. 
wasn't so fuzzy, was he? But understand, when it says that we are his workmanship, and, and if we want to take into that idea of poetry, we are God's epic poem. Do you know what an epic poem is? It's like, maybe you remember this from school, not second grade, but a little bit older, the epic of Gilgamesh, or perhaps the Iliad and the Odyssey, or perhaps Beowulf, or one of the other great epic poems, the classics of history. But understand, you are even so much more than that. Your story, as simple and as overlooked as it might be by the world, you are more of an epic poem than the great writers and the great works of art of history. Or if you can't relate to the idea of a poem, maybe think of the artistry of a painter who paints a beautiful masterpiece. And that masterpiece, if you know anything about those works of art, the, the work itself will identify who the author is. You don't have to look for a signature. You look at a Monet and you know it was painted by Monet. You look at a Rembrandt and you know that it was painted by a Rembrandt. And so it is. Likewise, the child of God, the masterpiece of God, should bear the strokes and the marks of the artist, the creator, who is creating that life and that person. Maybe you think of it as a sculptor sculpting a great work of art, maybe by Michelangelo or a da Vinci or someone else. But those great works of art are amazing. And understand that the beginning is not the finished product. Any more, listen to me now, than conversion, your conversion, is the final product. One of the great problems we have today, I believe, in the Christianity that we have known in our country over the last 50 years is that we have placed such a premium and such an emphasis on an experience, walking an aisle, praying a prayer, asking Jesus into your heart, listening to that knocking of Jesus as he knocks at your heart's door. And how many times has that painting been referred to and preached? I've been guilty of it. You'll notice that that door has no handle on the outside, that it can only be opened on the inside. Well, let me tell you something. You can't open your heart's door. Only God can do that. He's not a beggar on the outside begging you to open a door to please let him in. Don't turn him away. He is a God of all salvation. And understand, in the last 50 years in our country, we have preached Christ as a beggar wanting to come in. And we've used terms like accepting Jesus into your heart or praying the prayer. And understand, not one of those statements comes out of God's Word anywhere. They are non-biblical. Salvation is belief and repentance. It is Jesus opening our heart's door. It is God quickening our dead hearts and making them alive. But understand that moment of salvation is not the finished product. It is only the beginning. I'll never forget where we lived at one time in Texas and had friends across the street and they had a, a, a daughter. And I never will forget the day that that daughter's mom came over to our front porch as Tony and I were sitting there and, and we were just chatting and talking. And she was so excited. And she was excited because on Sunday night, the night before, her daughter had professed faith in Jesus Christ and was saved. And her mom's statement, and I know she didn't really mean it this way, it was spiritual immaturity, but it was how she viewed salvation. She said, there you go, now I can check that off my list, and I don't have that to worry about anymore. Well, I want to tell you something, conversion is more than a check mark on your list. 
Conversion is more than one of the to-dos of life. Conversion is the beginning of real life. It's where it all starts. Now, Jesus finished his work of redemption on the cross and through the empty tomb. But now he is continuing his work of perfecting and redeeming his church, you and me, day by day. Think of it this way. Think of conversion like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You remember that story from John chapter 11? Lazarus, his friend, had died. He'd been dead four days. And as one of his sisters said to Jesus, when Jesus said to roll away the stone, they said, oh, don't do that. He already stinks. His body is already deteriorating in death. And Jesus had him roll away the stone and said, Lazarus, come forth. And suddenly Lazarus' heart began to beat again. He was made alive. It was a picture of conversion. It was a picture of salvation. And here Lazarus comes walking out of that cave, out of that tomb, and he still was wrapped in the grave cloths. His face and his head still had linen wrapped around them. And Jesus said, help him, unwrap him, unbind him. Jesus said, and let him go. Listen, he was made alive again. Follow me here. But he still had the stink of death on his body. And likewise with you and me. When we are saved, when we are born again, we are made alive, we are made new. Our whole future is, is changed forever. But oftentimes we're still wearing grave clothes. Oftentimes we still have the smell of the world on us. That that takes time to wash away, to get rid of. Basically what Jesus was doing, Lazarus was still wearing his grave clothes. And Jesus said, let's put him in some grace clothes. Amen? Let's change his appearance. Let's change his life. Let's make him totally clean. That's what sanctification is all about. And that takes time for you and for me. Well, my process of sanctification, sometimes, more often than not, it's one step forward and then two steps backwards, it seems. It seems there are times I still struggle with some of those same old things I've struggled with forever. But then I'm reminded of Moses. When God called him, when God spoke to him, and God gave him a vision of what he was to do. Moses had to spend 40 years in the wilderness before he could be entrusted with the people of God to lead them in God's pathways. David was anointed king just as a young boy, but he was not fit to rule and reign for many years after that. He had to be made ready for that. And the painful process of being made ready is oftentimes spent on the backside of the wilderness or undergoing painful experiences. The apostle Paul, after his conversion, had to spend three years all by himself in the Arabian desert, just him and God, before he was prepared to become the, or take the gospel to the Gentiles. I heard a story once about a sculptor with a huge block of marble. And he was on his ladder and he had his chisel in one hand and his hammer in one hand. And he was hammering away on this block of marble and pieces were flying everywhere as he worked at almost a frantic pace. And a little boy came up and was watching this and was fascinated by it all. And finally, overcome with curiosity, he said, Sir, what are you doing? And he said, I'm sculpting a horse. That little boy looked at him like, yeah, right. And he walked around and viewed from every angle. And he said, well, it doesn't look like a horse to me. And the sculptor didn't even respond. He just kept chipping away. And pieces were falling off and flying this way and that way. And finally the boy said, well, how in the world do you carve a horse? And in exasperation, the artist turned to him and said, Son, 
all you have to do is chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse. That's what God's doing in your life. But He's not sculpting a horse. He's sculpting someone who will look like Jesus. And you know what He's doing? He's chipping away everything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus. Why is it that He allows circumstances and situations and frustrations to come to me that cause me to respond in a way that I shouldn't, to react in some way that, that's inappropriate, to maybe even say some things I shouldn't say. Why is it that God lets those things come into my life? He's chipping away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. You don't ever want to get to the point that God is no, no longer working on you. Because when that happens, first of all, He's going to call you home. Or, if God has ceased to work on you, it's because you've become such a resistant, unworkable piece of whatever that will no longer respond to Him. God is working on us. I read just this morning and got this note, just this morning during Sunday school. Let me tell you how we should look at life's struggles and life's problems. This comes from Brother Costa. You recognize that name, do you not? Joe and Mira are our missionaries. Joe's father, Charles, or Charlie, is the head of our mission work in Lebanon, and this comes from Charlie. As many of you already know, Lebanon continues its long downward spiral, and there seems to be no end in sight to the current crisis. From medicine to power, gasoline and bread, there seems to be a scarcity of everything. Soon we might not even be able to connect to the outside world as internet providers are stopping their services one after the other. I'm still not sure what God's purpose in all this is, but I know, I know that our Lord reigns and that in the midst of the storm, He is refining us and shaping us into Christ's likeness by teaching us to rely on Him and using us as salt and light. As Pastor Tim Keller wrote, we are learning that Christ did not suffer so we wouldn't suffer. He suffered so when we suffer, we will become like Him. Would you and your church join us in prayer this coming Sunday Invite others to do so as well. Going through problems you and I would know nothing about. You and I have never experienced. Not understanding what God is up to, except that He is using this to shape us into Christ's likeness. In other words, for the Christians in Lebanon, he is chipping away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. So that when the world looks at those believers, all they see is Jesus. At the same time, just a short distance away in Afghanistan, where we are withdrawing our soldiers, and even as we withdraw the Taliban, understand, the bad guys, are closing in. And they have already said to the leaders of home churches, of Christians in that country, we know who you are. And it's only a matter of time till we come get you. Yet those Christians are standing fast. Not fleeing and running, but standing fast because they believe that God is in control of all things. So we are His 
workmanship. And let me leave you at that point with these two verses, both in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It is God who is at work in your life, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And then Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm sure of this, Paul says, that He, God, who began a good work in you when He saved you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. All right, God's working on us, right? Turn to your neighbor before we go to the next point and just say this. You are a piece of work. (laughs) And I hope you meant that in all the right way. All right. Notice the second part of this verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That word created means to reduce from a state of disorder and wildness, to call into being, to create, to frame, to create spiritually, to invest with a spiritual frame. It's the very same idea as when God, in Genesis chapter 1, He moved through the darkness and the chaos of some previous creation in that darkness and that chaos, and He began to call forth light. And He began to speak into existence uh, light and darkness and a universe and the firmament, nature around us, and the animal kingdom, and then finally with his own hands to create humanity, and then to breathe into Adam the breath of life, so that man became a living soul. For we are his workmanship. That's God working in us. That's God working on us. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is God's work through us. Okay, God is making us into uh, Christ-likeness so that He can work through us to make a difference in our world. We are new creatures, a new creation in Christ. You've heard the reference of somebody being a self-made man. You ever heard that expression? Let me tell you there is no such thing. A self-made man is going to be an awful travesty. A self-made man will be a sinful man, will be a self-centered man, no matter how much good in the eyes of the world he ever does, no matter how successful he ever appears. A self-made man is a man destined for a devil's hell. It is faith alone that justifies faith in Christ. But that faith that justifies is never alone. It results in good works. It it uh, results in a different life. Now the Bible talks about several kinds of works. In the book of Galatians, we read about the works of the law and the works of the flesh. In the book of Romans and Ephesians, we read about the works of darkness. In the book of Hebrews, you can read about dead works, or works that lead to death. Titus writes about works of self-righteousness. But God and Paul are not speaking about any of those when he talks about these works. When he says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, understand there are two characteristics of these works God wants from all of us. First of all, they are good. Not good in the eyes of the world. Not meaning successful. Not meaning dynamic or easy or much celebrated. The world is into all of that. And understand, a lot of churches today are measured by worldly ideas. 
that because they're a certain size or because they have a certain notoriety or because of certain things that they look like or do, they say, oh, now, that must be the hand of God, but not necessarily. There are a lot of worldly success stories that have nothing to do with God. When these are called good works, they're talking about that which is profitable by God's standards, generous, upright, and virtuous. And can I say that sometimes the good works that God has for us, that God's doing through people, through Christ-like Christians, His workmanship, that oftentimes those works are fleshed out in the shadows. Oftentimes they are not seen, even misunderstood by the world. Many times never acknowledged or rewarded until we see Christ. I have very dear pastor friends. Some labor in the shadows in that way. Questioning whether or not they're making a difference for the Lord. But they are, as old timers used to refer to it, they are shut up to faith. They're put in a place where oftentimes there may not be another door or another place to go to. God has them here faithfully expositing the Word day in, day out, week in, week out. And I tell you that many of the big-name successful pastors you know, if they make it to heaven, they will be looking over the shoulders of some of those men because those men will be closer to Christ than the success stories of this life. Good works. God-honoring works. That's what God calls you to. Even if no one recognizes you, even if no one rewards you, you do it because you love the Lord. We are called as His workmanship in Christ Jesus to do good works, works that measure up by God's standards. And the second thing about them is that they are prepared works, prepared works. And that statement leads us to the last phrase of this verse. These good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That statement, prepared beforehand, means to appoint and to ordain beforehand to maintain a certain walk of life and conduct. Prepared beforehand, that's only used one other time in the New Testament. Only two times. The other time is Romans chapter 9 and verse 23. And he is saying, But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Who are you to talk back to God? And then he uses the example again in the world of art with a potter and the clay. And he says, remember who you are. You're not the potter. You don't shape your own life. You don't have a choice about all of that, about the shape and the design and the usefulness God has for you. All of that is in the mind and the heart of the potter, the master craftsman. That is God. And he goes on to talk about how God creates some vessels for dishonorable, meaning daily, you know, almost unrecognized, completely use. And there are other vessels of honor. He even goes on to say this in that passage. Some vessels are even created for destruction in order to cause those who are created for God's purpose and God's use to stand out all the more. 
And then he talks about those. To make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. We are the vessels of mercy. We are the ones being created for God's use, for honorable use. And he says, he has prepared that beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. God has called out some people for himself. And he has prepared beforehand ordaining who that will be. And he says here in Ephesians that we are now prepared beforehand not just to belong to him, but we have works to do that have been prepared by him. God has certain things he's going to accomplish through you that he cannot and will not accomplish through anybody else. He's prepared that for you. He's prepared it as a walk so that you can walk in that path. What an amazing truth. What a wonderful and glorious truth that God has a plan for your life and for mine. That nothing is by accident, no matter how painful it was or even still is for you to have to go through it. It is a God-prepared path to shape you and to mold you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because of that truth that God has prepared beforehand this path that another great promise of Scripture is eternally true. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things don't just work out for good. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, friends, listen to me as I draw this to a close. This is not just some impersonal fate that no matter what, oh, everything will turn out all right. Maybe like your mother or your aunt used to say to you. It's not that. It's not just wishful or hopeful thinking that everything will turn out okay. It, it's not something you find reading in a fortune cookie somewhere. <laughs> That's not where you find it. This is a personal promise and a gracious plan of a loving Heavenly Father who wills the very best for us. The will of God comes from the heart of God. And He has saved you. He has marked you as His own. And he is working even through difficult circumstances, sometimes painful circumstances, to chip away everything that doesn't look like Jesus in your life so that you will look like Jesus. And so that people will see that you have the marks of a master craftsman, the marks of the artist, the ultimate artist in your life. And they will glorify God through your life. And let me say this before reading our last passage. This is for Calvary Church. What is true for every genuine believer and every genuine follower of Christ in this message? What is true for every individual believer is also true for every true body of Christ. That God has called us out of our sins, out of darkness, into light. And He has brought us together as a church family. And He is shaping us. And He's working on us to make us like Christ. So that He can shine through us in ways beyond anything any of us could ever imagine. There is a plan. And there is a purpose at work that God had ordained in eternity past for this church. Today we lose a precious couple 
to fellowship and service here. They've been a blessing to us, Cord and Bethany. Oh, that more would have the same heart for ministry and service and faithfulness that you guys have shown in your brief journey here. We also lose a precious young lady who's going away to begin her college career. And I don't know of anybody that can light up a room the way Georgia does when she walks in. We will miss you, Georgia. And in my thoughts and my understanding, I can't see and understand how we can afford this loss of these three souls. But God sees a bigger picture than we do. Amen? God's doing a bigger work than what we know right now. All we can see is the moment. But God sees what it is He's doing. And in our church family, He's shaping us as a family into Christ's likeness. And sometimes that involves loss. The Father's at work in our fellowship to mold us and make us into the church He would have us to be. It's been said that in every church there are three kinds of people. There are those who look back at the past and say that those were our best years. There are those who look at the present and say these are our best years. There are those, thirdly, that look to the future and say the best years of our church are yet to come. I'll tell you folks, I'm thankful for the past. I'm thankful for the present. But I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that the best years for Calvary Baptist Church are before us, not behind us. They are before us, not behind us. And what we need is for more of you to quit looking over your shoulder and wish we could replicate a past that may have been successful in the eyes of man or whatever, but to realize we're not here to replicate the past. We're not here to set comfortable in our present. We are here to work and to pray, and to serve, and to look to God for a better future that God can take this foundation and build here something that will make a difference in eternity beyond anything any of us have ever experienced. That's what I'm praying for today. And I ask you, can you trust that truth? Or maybe more accurately, will you? trust that truth because it's a choice to be made not a feeling to be experienced all right it's a choice to be made Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 says this to us let's read it out loud together will you read it with me you got to read loud through that mask for me to hear you all right therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you have your Lord's Supper elements with you, go ahead now as we close this service and peel off the bottom of the bread. Does everybody have one? If not, you might want to step quickly to the entryway. They're out there on the table. And also peel away the top for the juice. What a glorious thing it is 
that God gave to us, that Jesus gave to us, this small supper that seems so little and seems so insignificant, but it is not little and it's not insignificant at all because it represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. And we have the opportunity to live for Him and to serve Him and to be His people and to be His church and to remember what He did for us, to evaluate our lives each time we take the meal, and then to anticipate the future. The best is yet to come when we will sit with Him in glory and He shares this meal with us. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Then Jesus gave this explanation, which is a promise. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ for the life and the blessings of life we have because of Him. Father, we thank You that You quickened our dead souls, that You saved us and called us out of the darkness of our sins. You called us unto Yourself. You made us a kingdom of priests. You made us servants for You. We thank You that You are working on us. Father, sometimes that's hard, but we pray that you would continue to do so to shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Chip away everything in us that doesn't look like Jesus. And I pray that you would bless us individually and as a church family, and that we may fulfill the works that you've given us to do, that we would walk in that path for the sake and for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.